Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is March 21st, 2022. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. We keep the content going for you guys, no matter what. We're uh, jumping through hoops, bending over backwards to make sure the recording schedule doesn't miss a beat for you guys as I'm on the road. And, and Simon, thank you for being so flexible, by the way, my guy. But we keep it going, two episodes a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're making it work. Obviously, we we like to take some a uh, little bit of time off like everyone else. But uh, when we do, we just had to... To plan and record a few more episodes in advance so you guys have some uh, steady content even though we're off for a little bit. I didn't realize before we, you know, committed to the two episodes how intensive the planning would be if we decide to go away or do anything like that. So, but, you know, keep it flexible. You have uh, first on the slate here some talk about inflation and it's something we keep tracking every time they come out with their monthly number because it's top of mind for everyone. Like We're not usually macro guys, but it seems something that's always top of mind. Uh, I'm going to talk about some new things coming out from the SEC, and then we'll talk earnings, even though it's been really slow lately. We'll still talk earnings. Yeah. Want to hit us with the CPI print? Yeah, definitely. So Canada released its February CPI figures. Before I get started on that, I was actually listening to something a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about inflation, but comparing it a little bit to the 1970s and 80s. And apparently you'd have like back in the day game show hosts and stuff like that, that would be talking about inflation because it was so bad. And I kind of it kind of feels a little bit like right now where, you know, people that are not into investing into macro or anything like that are actually know about inflation, are keeping an eye on it. And it's something that's top of mind. So I think it is appropriate for us to talk about it because, you know, it's top of mind for a lot of people. When it hits your wallet day to day and you feel it and notice it, it comes up in casual conversation. So that makes sense. Uh, in game shows, it's been insane. So I hope we don't get to that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, media was way different back then. But just a little anecdote I listened to. I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. We'll see uh, what develops over here uh, if we start hearing about it more on like Saturday Night Live or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But now back to the actual figures. So headline, the headline number was 5.7%. So the increase in CPI in February compared to February of 2021. So if you go on the Statistics Canada site, you'll be able to see a lot of the information. I think they do a pretty good job in putting it into categories and geographical regions across Canada and so on. But they did mention in that release that... A big part of the increase was due to higher gas prices and a big part of that, the recent increases, was due to the geopolitical conflict in Eastern Europe. So obviously we know what they mean when they talk about that. It's the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the upwards pressure it's putting on gas prices. Now gas prices were up 32.3% and up 6.9% on a month-over-month basis. So that means in February you paid close to 7% more for gas than you did in January. 
Food increases were 6.7% year-over-year, shelter 6.6% year-over-year. It was interesting when I was looking through the numbers, one of the smallest increases year-over-year was clothing and footwear, which increased 1.2%, so that seems pretty low. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news because I've been mainly wearing sweatpants in the past couple of years, so I'll be able to refresh my wardrobe as things are reopening. If athleisure stays at 0% inflation rate, I'm in good shape. I'm in really good shape for lounging around the house. Yeah, so it's, you know, if you have some spare money aside from investing, uh, it might be a good idea to refresh that wardrobe. I mean, it's not being too impacted by inflation. But I mean, I'm obviously I'm joking around here. But one of the metrics that I get annoyed the most about the core CPI, which essentially excludes food and energy increases. I find that really ridiculous because it's a big part of our everyday lives and the cost that we pay and things that we spend on. So that was 3.9% compared to 5.7% year over year. Again, they do post it on the site and the US talks about it a lot when they have their own figures. Keep that in mind. I tend to pretty much not pay attention to that core CPI metric. It makes no sense to call something core. That's like the opposite. But inflation metric, not including food, is like hilarious. Like, you know, it's like the only thing that you absolutely 1 million percent need (laughs) is food and water. So, I mean, that's going to be hitting every single person. It's like uh, saying, you know, what's the cost of utilities at the place you're at? And they're like, well, the number we're going to give you doesn't include electricity. It's only gas. So sorry about that. It just makes no absolute sense. Now, uh, it's interesting you said that clothing and footwear and stuff like that. I mean, with people staying home more over the last two years, those kinds of things seems to be deflationary in price, which makes complete sense. Demand has been lower for those kinds of things. So yeah, but I mean, don't look too into it. I mean, prices across the board up labor across the board up so you know more of the same yeah exactly so uh now that's it on our update on inflation so i know you have an update on the sec now yeah today they floated some mandatory disclosure of climate change risks and emissions so they floated this around saying that this is probably going to be happening and that public companies will if this passes be disclosed sorry, forced to and required to disclose greenhouse gas emissions and climate risks under this kind of landmark SEC uh, proposal in the States. Now, this is not something that I'm surprised by at all. I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, what is this? This is like a huge change. And I agree, but I don't think we should be very surprised given the pressure and push there have been from investors and many large corporations already voluntarily reporting their emissions in this like kind of disclosure and push for companies to be more compliant in this stuff and show how green they are in some in some ways. The problem here, Simone, is that it can get really tricky to correctly calculate and disclose those emissions. I used to do this for my job. You know, I went to school for environmental engineering, so I can speak to this a bit. And I used to do this for a utility company. Now, let me back up here a bit and give some context on 
reporting emissions. There are typically three agreed upon scopes of emissions. You have scope one, which are direct emissions from your operation. I'll get some examples in a second. Scope two, which are indirect emissions, like from purchasing electricity for your operations. So that's indirect because those emissions would be from the power plant down the street. They're not directly in your operations. And scope three would be like all these other kind of weird indirect emissions not included in that heating and electricity emissions that you have. Let's get some examples. You are a trucking and logistics public company. You got to start doing your disclosure. Now, this is actually a pretty straightforward example, so I don't think it's that hard for a for this type of business, but let's give an example, okay? So the direct scope one emissions are the emissions coming out of your vehicles. You're a trucking company. This is your largest vast majority of your emissions are coming right out of the right out of the vehicles. Okay. So fairly easy to figure out if you have like some basic calculations you can use, like how many kilometers they're driving or miles, whatever it is. Now number two would be, you know, the electricity you purchase for the warehouses, the heating and cooling for the warehouses, maybe your head office. Again, not hard to figure out because you're just going to be looking at utility bills. That might be the most accurate of all of them. And number three, scope three, these are emissions from your supply chain. Really difficult. Emissions from your employees driving to work. Really difficult. Employees taking flights, you know, for business meetings can be tracked. Depending on where your business is, it can be really difficult to do this. And there's going to be gray areas all over the place. However, you know where my mind goes. I'm like, who benefits from this? The three companies that come to mind immediately are like the credit rating agencies and the data companies, and maybe even the ESG investing companies, maybe like in BlackRock. But the three that come to mind are MSCI, ticker MSCI, S&P Global, ticker SPGI. They've been making acquisitions and do a lot of work for climate disclosure and software for companies to make this process easier. And Moody's Corp, ticker MCO. These credit rating agencies have dove head first into this trend. And now this kind of legislation, these companies keep winning. You know, they have this type of reporting and they're ahead of it. Like they're like, you know, they're, they have this uh, kind of baked in moat and the moat is built on that these companies have to do it. They have no ability to not get their bond rated. You know, like all of these things are S&P Global and Moody's, these credit rating agencies keep getting force fed this business and this duopoly. I mean, there's other players, but they're tiny. And now this, and so this is good for, uh, Two companies, I love S&P Global, Moody's Corp, MSCI, I know a little bit less. But again, these are companies, analytics companies. They have these software offerings for companies to be able to help estimate these emissions. This is big business. Yeah, and hopefully it'll make investing in things like ETFs that are more targeted toward ESG a bit easier for people where it's just not... You know, all tech companies that emit a lot less emissions, I guess, for the most part, would be more like direct emissions than uh, most other public companies. I think hopefully that might be a benefit when it comes to that. But 
a lot of it, like you said, is very hard to quantify. And it goes back to when you talk about ESG, the social and governance. That's always been something very hard to quantify as well. So I know this is more towards the environmental impact, but I'm wondering if eventually we'll see this kind of push as well for more of the social and governance aspect. Yeah, maybe. If there's this kind of ability to really verify and measure and have some of this stuff audited, I think that that gives some transparency. And then, yeah, like you said, I mean, the social and governance I honestly think that there just needs to be an E on an island and an SG on an island. Sure, they're related, but I think in a lot of ways, investors are looking for two different things when they are looking at those two things. S and G are just so hard to verify. At least this is somewhat, somewhat verifiable and measurable, somewhat. And those numbers will be disclosed. They'll be mandatorily disclosed. So I think that that is a good thing for investors. It sucks for a lot of companies who have this new reporting wing. This new expensive reporting wing has just come out. And dude, I should start a consultancy. I, used to, I did this for however many years. I guess only I guess only three, four years. But still, I got like, dude, I'm I gotta start a consultancy on how to estimate your emissions. Yeah. Yeah. If someone wants to start the business and bring me on as an investor, you just hit me up on Twitter. But it's funny, it's true what you're saying. I've been like hitting that drum repeatedly is when we talk ESG, uh, most people, my perception is that they own in on the E and they kind of forget the S and the G. And I think there's a, like, it's much harder to quantify granted, but I think we're seeing with Russia, but also China with the uh, geopolitical climate that's happening right now. And obviously some of the supply chain issues and some of the, you know, how workers are being treated in some other countries. I think we're seeing a lot more how the social and the governance aspect can have a pretty big impact on on investing and on companies you invest in. Perfect. Now we'll move on to something pretty funny that I saw on Twitter. So it's about the Russian-Ukrainian crisis, but more specifically, Russia is launching its own version of McDonald's. And I think I'll probably retweet that uh, when the episode comes out so people are aware mm. because the logo is hilarious. It looks very similar to the McDonald's logo. And what happened is McDonald's... They just turn it on a 90 degree side. Yeah, like, bar, it's just like that. I think, right? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so essentially after McDonald's said it would shut down its 800 plus locations in Russia, some members of the Russian government were not pleased with the announcement. Last week, a Moscow-based patent lawyer filed for a trademark and logo for restaurants, which would be called Uncle Vanya's. The logo, like I said, it's so similar to what McDonald's is. And it's pretty funny because I know it's not the only instance that they're trying to create the a Russian brand from their own, but it's just hilarious. Like it's even when you zoom in on the logo, you can almost see where they like photoshopped it to add that extra line. <laughs> You can't make this stuff up, man. What's happening, right, is you get these like large American corporations just saying, okay, you know, Russia, you're canceled, closing all our locations. Or, you know, company X, we're just not like our software is just not available in the country anymore. And this is a string of a bunch of Russia's version of it as they're doing the same thing with Instagram. It's like a copycat that comes out, exact same UX. A lot of these Russian entrepreneurs are just like, 
hey, there's an opening gap in the market for me to just make this version of X for our country. Ultimately, like a lot of it is just signaling, like what is the point of shutting down 800 McDonald's? And like, I guess the, the <laughs> some people were not pleased with the announcement from the Russian government. They're like, you know, they really just wanted to be able to continue to muck those uh, those junior chickens, you know, like they, they wanted more of those Big Macs, like shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, right, the company might say it's closing its stores in a specific country, but especially if they're franchises, they might not support them and they may have closed any relationship, but how can they actually enforce that? I think that's really comes down to that. So messy. Exactly. Yeah. So if the, you know, the franchise, he just wants to keep operating it and not pay whatever royalty to McDonald's. I mean, they'll have to figure out a bunch of logistics on their own, but still there's nothing really, how can McDonald's enforce it? Do you think Putin is going to enforce that when they said they were leaving Russia? Probably not. Hell yeah. no. And especially because like, name a more American corporation than McDonald's. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, be hard pressed. I'd be hard pressed yeah. to find one. Maybe like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Like, what's more American than McDonald's? I mean, they love, That's, they I love like their burgers. Crickets. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Equinix. It's a name that you and I both like and follow. They just had a big $700 million acquisition. They announced expansion into Chile and Peru through its intended acquisition of four data centers of Intel. It's called like Intel, but Intel. It's a Chilean communications provider. Its enterprise value of seven hundred and five million is the USD is the deal size. Now, data centers is a REIT business type that we like quite a bit. I know you own it in your portfolio. Stratosphere covers it in depth. Equinix has some really nice competitive advantages, and they are the largest data center provider in the world. Now, uh, Equinix and American Tower have been making acquisitions, buying data centers in emerging markets, uh, emerging markets being the case here with Peru and Chile. This is a really smart idea because like, the data demand is still fairly nascent in those markets. I mean, of course, it's come a long way. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, huge long runway. So I think it's a smart idea. These are, you know, AMT and Equinix are unsexy compounders. They pay nice growing dividends, still long runways for growth. The reason I'm coupling them together is because it's a very similar process. However, now AMT is directly in the data center business. They bought CoreSight for $10 billion, I believe. Yeah, it's CoreSight. Price off the top yeah, of my head. yeah, it's Core. I can't yeah. remember the ten, price, ten, but it was CoreSight, yeah. $10 billion, I think, is the number. Sounds about right. They, were, they yeah. were the smallest pure play, I think. Uh, pure play right. publicly listed real estate data center. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's a there's a list of them. Equinix being the big dog and, and AMT eating up CoreSight makes them directly in that game. And so uh, these companies have been deploying capital all over the planet in emerging markets, which is interesting to own some of that really, really important infrastructure providing the most valuable commodity of this world, which is data. 
Yeah, yeah. The one thing, and I own a pretty significant position in Equinix. The one thing I would like to make people aware for any of these businesses, I think there will be some short to medium term headwinds when it comes to chip supplies. Take so many chips. Exactly. So these data centers use, obviously, they're storing these massive computers, these data computers, and they don't necessarily own them. But a lot of their clients, they will need those computers or servers to be hosted into the data reach center. So if there are supply chain shortages specifically for chips, it could affect the growth for these companies in the in the short to medium term. So be aware of that. That's something I'm keeping an ear on for uh, the conference calls when they're coming out, just to see what management has to say about that. It could be a reason. I've never really thought about it until now. It could be a reason that on the last maybe 24 months as a generalization, the capital allocation strategy has been quite acquisitive versus new build. And so maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, if you can deploy the capital and acquisitions and grow your footprint versus, you know, not have to deal with the shortages of new build. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just something to keep in mind and don't be scared if you see that in the short to medium term. But I think long term, I, I believe they have great prospects here. Now, moving on to some earnings, Alimentation Couchetard released their Q. I was so pumped for you to say the name, by the way. I was I was hyped up uh, over here. Yeah, for our French speaking fans, and I know there are some. A lot of I do get some tweets and some DMs from people uh, who uh, say, "Ask me when I'm gonna do a French episode," which uh, I'm not sure if we'll. It's like fifteen percent. Is like fifteen percent of our listenership uh, from Quebec, yeah. but uh, you know we may have some French listeners from Ontario, from other That's true. areas, That's true. but obviously That's predominantly, true. most likely Quebec. But That's true. we'll see if we ever do that. I won't promise anything. Maybe I'll, we'll do a spin-off in French at some point. Who knows? Huh? <laughs> yeah. The Canadian Investor Podcast en français. Exactly. Well said. So Alimentation Couchetard, they released their Q3 2022 quarter results. And obviously, they have a bit of a weirder financial schedule here. Their revenues increased 41% to $18.5 billion, fueled, no pun intended here, by fuel revenues, which were up 59%. It's not surprising considering the cost of gas has gone way up since the same time last year. Merchandise revenue increased at a much slower pace, but still 5.8%, which is pretty good if you ask me for a company as mature as Alimentation Couchetard. The increase in merchandise revenue was due to a combination of new acquisition and organic growth. Organic growth was 3.7% in the US and 7.2% in Europe and 0.8% in Canada. So kind of stalled a bit in Canada here. Net earned That US number, really? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's not bad. Huh? 7.2%. No, that's in Europe. 7.2 in Europe, 3.7 oh. in the US. Oh, oh, yeah. oh 3.7 in the US. Okay, well, still, still pretty I mean, good. that's pretty good yeah. for organic. Yeah, yeah, that's a good number. Yeah, for you know, a, a company that essentially sells like low-cost merchandise for the most part, I think it's pretty good too. Yeah, it's convenient. C-store, yeah. convenience store. That's it. Net earnings were up 23% to $756 million for the quarter. They declared a $0.11 cent dividend per share for shareholder of record on March 24, 2022. So, I mean, I think you would have to invest essentially today if you wanted to be recorded just in time. So, by the time you hear this, it'll be too late. 
this is the same <laughs> as the previous quarter. Uh, wah, wah. Yeah, so the dividend is the same as the previous quarter, but was up compared to last year, up 25%. So all in all, I think a, a very, very good results from Alimentation Couchetard. All the numbers I mentioned are in USD with the exception of their dividend, which is Canadian dollars. Yeah, because they're only Canadian listed. So that makes sense. Yeah, but I think because such a big part of their operations is in the U.S. now, ever since they made that Circle K acquisition, right, years ago, yeah. and also in Europe. Yeah. So they most of their results are actually set in USD, but then the dividend is in Canadian dollar. It's kind of funny. I feel like, you know, just make it consistent across the board, but... Anyways. Well, I'm, I'm saying that because it's only listed in Canada, so it makes sense to issue the yeah, dividend in, right. in CAD. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's so funny that they state their results in USD, though. Yeah. Uh, I think no? it makes sense. Okay. That part yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just so much of their business, yeah, right? Like, true. if you look at the mm-hmm. revenue mix. Now, yeah, like, if you look at a dividend per share of Kushtar, it is, like, it's egregious. Like, 25%, you know, year over year, pretty consistently like 15 plus percent uh, on the dividend i mean it's not a huge dividend it's not gonna rock your socks off but it has been a sneaky good stock you know the best time to buy that stock was when everyone hated it when they were telling when they were going to buy care for the french grocery store that was a confusing one like it was really confusing had some negative sentiment oh boy it's been a good stock since now i just want to highlight kushtar because i'm going to talk about the risk in a second but they have grown their gross profit per location from $600,000 gross profit in USD in 2018 to their most latest print that you're talking about in Q2 of 2022 fiscal, over $700,000 in gross profit. So per location, they have extracted very consistently on the up and up to right now of over 700 grand gross profit per location. That is the investment thesis that they have had same store sales growth and a consistent knack for excellence on an operational level. That's the thesis of Kushtar. It's that. No one does C store better than them in the world. Yeah, it's actually probably a bit higher because your data is Q2 2022. This was Q3. So it's probably actually a little oh. higher than that. Yeah, they just released oh, yeah. Q3. Yeah. <laughs> Ping my analyst. Hey, <laughs> update this. Yeah, no, no. Okay, fair enough. So a little higher. Like it's been a story of operational excellence. I think that's the investment thesis. The risk that I'll point out, and it's written on the Kushtar report on Stratosphere, is the EV risk is real. I know they have about 5,000 chargers that they've built. They've done this pilot program for EV charging infrastructure in Norway, you know, one of the most forward thinking in, in electric vehicle infrastructure countries. However, if you had a pump in your garage, why would you fill up elsewhere? For the most part, like assuming you have the connectivity to be able to charge at home with an EV. I think that's a requirement if you have an EV at this point. Why would you charge elsewhere? A few times a year, a few times a year. And I don't care if it hurts fuel revenues. You know what? Like it's such low margin. Like who cares? So much, low, so much low margin. But the traffic that they make money off of is that merchandise volume. That's the concern that I think that 
people will have. The counterpoint to what I'm saying of my own bear case is if you're stopping for 15 minutes to charge, 25 minutes to charge, chances are you're going to stop it and get a snack. However, that traffic, I don't see a world where it doesn't decline drastically over the next 15 years. That's my opinion. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good point, especially since I'm thinking most of the time I go to a convenience store is to because I'm going to fill up our car. So it is yeah. definitely related there. So it'll be interesting how they pivot going forward. I think probably another, not a qu- maybe a little bit of a question mark is growth by acquisition. It may mm. be a bit more limited going in the future because they've grown so much. So there might be some question marks there, especially with them trying to buy Carrefour. I think it's an indicator that they were trying to think outside the box maybe a little more uh, with acquisitions. So I suspect you'll see a lot of... Uh, returning capital to shareholder in the upcoming years from Kustal, whether it's increasing that dividend or potentially buying back shares too. Yeah. And I think the, I think regardless, they'll be doing a lot of that. All right. Let's talk about a center. Thank God for these companies that have these uh, different fiscals. This show, these earnings shows, like what would we talk about? A center, dude, I love this company. I love this company. I, I'm going off notes right now. Accenture is a beast, okay? This is a great business. I would buy shares here for just the just telling you right now. Revenue was 15 billion for the quarter, and this is their second quarter fiscal 2022. This was up 24% in constant currency USD. It's actually a increase on revenues on the top line of 28% if you use local currencies. Remember, this is a global business, so there's lots of currency math going on. Through the first half of their first fiscal year, they have done $30 billion in revenue. This company is a beast. $2 billion free cash flow for the quarter. They spent $1.7 billion on buying back shares, paying that modest but growing dividend. Earnings per share uh, up 14%. New bookings of $19.6 billion in new bookings. Like, what the? Uh, an increase of 22%. So the scale of this business is is crazy for a services business. I love services businesses, as you know. It's like free cash flow compounding out the wahoo. Now their services, their core strategies and their core revenue bases is strategy and consulting, technology and operations. They see strong double digit growth across all of those, and they see very strong uh, double digit growth across cloud. They're interactive and security platform. So those are big businesses moving forward. They're big businesses now, but they're going to be big businesses moving forward and they're going to be bigger businesses moving forward. There's not really a lot to dislike here. The stock is on a rare 20% drawdown for this super consistent, profitable compounder. There's some nice tailwinds in their services, especially helping companies transform their operations on the cloud, get them up to speed on security, have this interactive component to the business. I suspect from this point forward, March 21st, recording this, the 24th, when you hear this, I suspect you do real well on Accenture moving forward. Not investment advice. Do your own research. I just, I think the business is a bit of an easy one here for me. So the new bookings of 19.6 billion, that's essentially just a pipeline, right? That they have? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yep. Makes me, yeah. reminds me of Boeing and Airbus always talking about their pipeline. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like all services businesses, like when I talk about WSP as well, like the bookings numbers basically like, or like service backlog is really typical for construction businesses. And so it's kind of like future wins and it makes it easy actually to do projections, which is nice. And it's a services business too, that like has these kind of recurring revenue models kind of built into them as well, which are obviously ideal. Yeah. No, it seems like it was a very good quarter. Moving on to Ut8 Mining, it's their 2021 full year results. So I spoke about Ut8, I did a, a review of them late last year, and I will add that to uh, the show notes in case some people are looking to get a bit more context on their financials because it is a bit wonky. I'll give a little bit of an overview while I do this, but it is a bit different than most companies. So they had a great year. It's no surprise because Bitcoin was up 66% for 2021. It might not feel like that if you bought Bitcoin around the peak, but if you bought Bitcoin before the start of 2021, you had some nice gains for the year. On December 3rd, they were the first crypto mining company to be added to the SNPTSX index. So I think that's a, a pretty noteworthy milestone for them. The company purchased just shy of 32,000 mining rig from MicroBT. Mining rigs are essentially computers that are used to perform complex mathematical problems to mine Bitcoin. So when they solve those problems, they get rewarded in Bitcoin, but also Ethereum when it comes to Hut8 mining. Approximately 10,000 of these machines has still not been delivered and will be delivered throughout 2022. Revenues more than quadrupled to 173 million. It sounds like a lot, but again, it has a lot to do with the price of Bitcoin that was way up last year. The total Bitcoins held in custody or in lending agreements was 5,518, which more than doubled compared to the end of 2020. There was 3,518 in custody and 2,000 were in lending agreements. So lending agreements are essentially them lending uh, Bitcoin and then receiving a yield in exchange. So the yield varied between 2% and 2.25%. They were free cash flow negative for $162 million for the year compared to only $6 million the year before. So it would be really easy to look at these numbers and panic. If you're not familiar with UtHate and their operation, that's because their free cash flow is really negative since they convert most of their revenues, which are in Bitcoin that are being mined, to digital assets to their balance sheets, which they don't convert to cash. So because of that, because they're being converted to digital asset, they're not producing free cash flow or cash flow out of those bitcoins that are being mined so that's why it looks so wonky in their operating activities in their cash flow statement for 2021 that accounted for 165 million removed from that cash flow statement so that that gives you a bit more context why they lost so much cash or free cash flow but it's nothing to be concerned about because that's just the way that their business is in the previous year they had sold a bit more bitcoin it was more like a 50 50 split from them mining bitcoin and selling them and keeping them on their balance sheet but in 2021 they actually shift a strategy where they are trying to keep as much bitcoin as they can on their balance sheet and sell as little as possible their strategy is essentially to fund their operation with 
share issuance, so through equity, which made their share price increase 74% for the year. So it's quite a bit, yeah. Their outstanding shares is up. Yeah, this is, remember when I was, you were talking about miners, like as stock equity plays, like like crypto, Bitcoin miners. Yeah. And I was like, you really got to believe in the price action because you are going to be diluted so heavily because that's the bet is that it's cheaper cost of capital to dilute shareholders than sell assets on the balance sheet, right? Like that's the thesis. And you have to believe in that or else this is a shit show because that outstanding share count is going to balloon yeah, yeah, exactly. So essentially, the you know the thesis here is you believe that the price of Bitcoin and the amount that they're actually mining in Bitcoin will outpace in a pretty good margin the share dilution that they're doing because that's the strategy they're that's doing, right. right? If they wanted right. instead to do a strategy where you know they're self financing, they would actually be selling a lot more Bitcoin for cash to cover their expenses right. and their expansion and then they want to have a lot less on the balance sheet so like brady like you just said here if you're interested in this company you have to really believe in bitcoin because they're essentially using fiat or cash to finance their operation to then store it into bitcoin that's the the simplest way to do it yeah yeah it's a really interesting model i don't know if i like it i don't know if it'll work but it is interesting yeah and Throw everything about accounting out the door. Like their income statement is pretty much useless. Maybe not like the expenses line item, but I mean, top line's useless. For the cash flow statement's useless. You're basically you're basically just monitoring the balance sheet, right? Like yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, it. I mean, uh, there's a couple of metrics I would keep an eye on for them. So you want their hash rate to increase over time. So hash rate is just a computing power. Yeah, but again, you're not going to no, find that on their, that's true. their income statement. No, that's true. I mean, obviously, you want to see how much you want to keep an eye how the amount of Bitcoin that they have on the balance sheet, the price or the value of Bitcoin is less important in my opinion. You want to know how much in actual Bitcoin they have because the value that will fluctuate, obviously you want it to increase long-term. So that's the one thing I think will be important to look at on the balance sheet. And you also want their, you know, you want the share price to increase as well because it'll make them dilute less when they do issue equity. So I think those are probably the two main things I, I'd look at. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, just know what you're getting into if you invest in HUT8. I know a lot of people on Twitter that are Bitcoin bulls believe in this company a lot because they have this huddle strategy. I know uh, Courtney Steven that's been on uh on the podcast a few times I've interviewed before. I know he's a big believer in HUT8, but Something to keep an eye on if you want almost a pure play uh, Bitcoin company. This would probably be it. I can't really think of any other one. Well, there's other miners out there. Yeah, there are others, but uh, especially listed in Canada and that has that specific strategy. I think a lot of them are not necessarily using equity to cover their expenses, for example. yeah, Like they'll sell it and sell fund? Yeah, they'll sell a bigger portion so they don't have to issue debt or equity to fund their operations. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a levered to the nines play. Like, I mean, like you got to really, you got to really believe it. All right, dude, I was making this segment and I was like, didn't you make your bold prediction that the TSX beats the S&P by like 10%? 
I th- what was the amount? Oh man, I don't remember. I, I think I, it was it, one of my. It was ten percent. Yeah. I don't know. We've done so much content since I can't even yeah, remember. Like it's... when we do our review, I have to actually go back and listen to them because I don't really remember. Dude, you made a bold prediction. Just like you no, know, you know, we make these stupid bold predictions for the year that are just like, hey, you know, this is kind of interesting. This is makes for good content. And you're like, yeah, the TSX is going to lap the S&P by 10%. I'm pretty sure that's what your thing was. I'm going to have to go back and listen. And the TSX is currently beating the S&P 500 by 10% year to date. Like almost exactly. Like almost exactly. Now, this is going somewhere different than you think, which is, sure, it might be cool to take some victory laps if you own a bunch of TSX names. You own energy. You own the banks. I hear you. Congratulations. I hear you. I love it. That's that's amazing. I'm not hating. I believe in it. I love it. I'm just saying, keep in mind that the TSX minus Shopify, you know, you know how these things work. They're market cap weighted. You basically have banks, energy, telcos, materials, which are mostly all at all-time highs. You know, I don't I don't follow telcos. The other ones for sure are at all-time highs. However, Zoom out a little bit. I'm tired of the energy victory laps. This is me saying, I'm tired of the energy victory laps. I, you know, congratulations. Have your time here. But, you know, a lot of these things are trading at the prices they traded at like 2008. So, you know, let's let's back up a little bit here. Not banks. Banks are good. No beef with banks. Over the past five years, the TSX has performed 42%, 90% for the S&P 500. And this includes this recent huge change in performance. Like year to date, the S&P is down like 7% and the S&P is up like 3.5% as of recording. Including that, still including that, you have basically double the performance on the S&P. So in the short term, it's been good for Canadian stocks. But keep in mind, this is a normal reminder from me to not limit yourself to Canadian companies. Invest in public securities. You're completely unconstrained. As a generalization, you know, many of the best businesses in the world are south of the border. So keep an open mind to that. Your biggest superpower as a self-directed investor, completely unconstrained, is you have no mandate, no one telling you what you can and cannot invest in in terms of like geography. So do not have Canadian home bias and limit yourself to TSX names, especially with this recent outperformance. This is just my like rational reminder that, you know, there's some of the best businesses in the world south of the border. So just keep an open mind to that. That's all. I'll just say, if you invested in energy and nutrient in summer of 2020, (laughs) you're like crushing the market. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Which I didn't. Yeah, I did not do that, obviously. If you can time every commodity, Mm -hmm. hit me up and let me know. However, I'm going to reply with, no, you can't. Like, it's just luck. Like, timing commodities, I swear to God, like, if it works, it works. It really works. Don't get me wrong. It's just like, do it consistently for a long time. I I just have yet to be convinced that anyone, any human in the history can can reliably do that. It's just uh, requires knowing the future. And we all know that that, 
Uh, we all know about that. You know, you can't know the future. And if you could, you'd be a billionaire. You wouldn't be listening to a podcast. You'd be, you'd be on the beach somewhere nice with your billions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, moving on to a, a bit of a dumpster fire when it comes to Canadian equities. EXO, they had their Q2 2022 earnings. So I'll start with the good here. So I had previously mentioned in one of our earnings and news releases that new management had taken over. The good news is they seem to have a plan going forward. Whether it will work or not, I guess that remains to be seen. The highlights of their new path forward is as follow. To continue reducing manufacturing and production costs, streamline and simplify the organizational structure, realize cost synergies from acquisition and recent plant closures, Focus on revenue management, including more disciplined pricing. Accelerate growth through organic market share gains and capture missed revenue opportunity. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of this seems pretty optimistic. Um, that's just my my view here. It's putting a spin, a positive spin on bad things. It's like realize synergies from recent plant closures. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. The recent plant closures is not a good thing, but hey, we can realize some cost synergies. It's like really, you know, painting a, a positive picture on what is a pretty grim picture in my view. Yeah, and obviously I do hope that they turn things around because a lot of people are employed by them, but I'm just saying that. Yeah, these, for sure. Yeah, for sure. these are, are still like, I mean, it's, it's pretty... It's not very specific. It's the kind of the big lines. I'm sure they go a bit more into the details of it, but whether it will work or not, I think these are pretty obvious things that you'd want to do, but whether it'll actually you know, work going forward, we'll have to see. But they believe that their new plan will generate $37.5 million in cash for 2022 and $135 million for 2023. And here in cash flow, I forgot... Uh, wrote the wrong word cash floor but it's actually cash flow continuing on the good news here revenues increased 61 percent to 53 million year over year but again they are still burning a lot of cash now the not so good they were free cash flow negative for 90 million for the quarter which was five times more than last year they were in a breach of a senior convertible note which the holder could have passed for accelerated payment because they did not meet some requirements However, the holder of this convertible note agreed to postpone this until May of this year, so a few months. So we'll see if that goes beyond May. They've also been approached for a $180 million equity agreement over a 36-month period. This was non-binding, so it remains to be seen if it goes through. And they did mention that the company does not have sufficient funds to fund all aspects of operation, which means the company is dependent on this agreement going through. If not, there are some going concerns. There are questions whether they can meet their going concerns uh, going forward, which just means uh, to meet their obligations going forward. Let's remember here that EXO received a warning as well from NASDAQ saying that they were not compliant and that their shares could be delisted. The warning was issued on January 31st of this year. They were given until July 25th for a minimum to have a minimum of 10 days to be compliant. So the requirement is that they be over, if I remember correctly, I didn't put this on the note, but I believe it's a dollar per share. And right now their shares currently 
currently trade at 60 cents on the Nasdaq. So they are very far from meeting that requirement. And if they don't meet that by July 25th, Nasdaq could extend a period to give them more time, but they could also get them delisted from the Nasdaq. This is what happens when you have a strange market cycle where a new thing, a new hot thing hits the market, in this case, cannabis legalization, where investors treat the not only the public investors, the private investors that have given them the cash to get to where they are, to get manufacturing capacity, to do what they have done, requires a lot of believing. And they were addressed like they were given these like infinite total addressable markets. Like, you know how this goes. It's just crazy. 60 cents on the NASDAQ. I am so glad I do not run this business. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. And the 180 million equity agreement that they're very dependent on, what it sounds like. And I took that information straight out of their uh, financial statement. Keep in mind, that's going to dilute even more, right? So I think- Yeah, because what's the market cap? Like? I think it's it's in the millions now. It was in the billions before. I, I don't have it in front of me, but still it's going to- dil- 275, I just got it. There you go. So it's- 275 mil. So, I mean, the company is clearly dependent on it yet, you know, I guess it's a good thing if they do get it, but at the same time, it will dilute shareholders even more. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. I wish there was a Canadian company- when this whole like remember when they were going into full-on like acquisition spree like it was then canopy afria what's the last one i'm kind of Tilray? did you say Tilray? no i didn't say Tilray. i think they they were one of aurora aurora cannabis was aurora yeah yeah, yeah, so they were going like paying these ridiculous premiums just for like future production capacity it would have been nice Mm -hmm. to see one of those big players to just kind of sit back a little bit just say, we're not sure what the market will be. We're going to sit back. We're going to produce, you know, a good amount, but we'll see how the market develops. And now if there would have been a player like this, they would be able to pounce and get so much production at just a fraction of the cost. Two thoughts here on just looking at super, super beat up stock charts on the TSX two things come to mind. One, let's dunk on Face Drive, which is down 98%. We bashed that company into obliteration on the very peak of that company. So uh, check, please. And just looking here, down 50% since its IPO, Q4 Inc. I'm going to do a segment on this podcast very soon on Q4 Inc. It is a Toronto-based company that does investor relations software you can so literally visa mastercard these companies use q4 for their investor relations they have over half of the uh, s&p 500 on their platform been a terrible performance since ipo and it trades at 215 million in market cap way less than this shit show dumpster fire of hexo which trades for 60 more million in market cap on the tsx just for a small cap idea on a beaten up chart that is very, very small in micro cap land, or I guess small cap land, Q4 Inc. It's a software company, really promising, honestly, to be honest. I like the, the business here. 
it just reminded me of it and I, I should probably do a, a pitch on it soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think our plan is probably to do one with one of our recordings this week, which will be released in the next, probably by the time this airs in the next like seven to 10 days, I would say. <laughs> just a, a rough guess. A rough guess because we still have to figure out the, the release schedule. But in that episode, I'm looking to do our, a review of Aritzia as well. So I think it'll be a fun one. Okay, so we got a good, a good couple of Canadian names coming up on that are like reasonably low in market cap. And, you know, it's interesting to try to find small cap ideas because there's just no one covering them. You have to do your own research. So here we do your research for you. Well, <laughs> let, let me... Yeah, let me, yeah. Let me not investment that. advice. <laughs> let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. We provide our thoughts and it's very useful research for you. Let's do the last topic here on the slate, which is the U.S. Fed raised rates and the market celebrate. <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, so the U.S. Fed raised uh, the interest rates in the U.S., so the FOMC, so the, that's stand for the Federal Open Market Committee, which consists of 12 members approved to raise the interest benchmark rate in the U.S. 25 basis point to 0.50%. There was only one member that did not agree with the move, and the member actually wanted a raise of 50 basis points. The Fed indicated they're most likely to increase rates six more times this year, which means they could increase uh, for the total the total increase for the year could be as much as 175 basis points. It could even be more than that. I've seen some reference now on Twitter, some reporters asking Jerome Powell, so the chair of the Fed. And, you know, they're not against even raising the rates by 50 basis points in some upcoming meetings. It will depend where inflation mostly is going. They also revised their inflation outlook significantly for 2022 to 4 0.1%. That's the core CPI that I was talking about a bit earlier, excluding energy and food. All of this, obviously not surprising with inflation picking up. And this is also in line with what the Bank of Canada is doing. Inflation really has taken a front seat here and the central banks are really trying to get that in check. I mean, will it be enough? I really don't know. But the banks around the world are raising rates pretty rapidly. This is not an exception to the rule. That's pretty much happening around the world here. If that continues happening, Bond funds will have a rough year because bond funds will actually go down when interest rates go up uh, because the bond fund has to get a higher interest to match what is currently demanded by the market. Therefore, the value of existing bonds actually goes down. Uh, it might also place a damper on the housing market. However, typically there is a delay with that and we'll see how aggressive they are with increases if they start increasing for the full year let's say the rates end up being like close to 2.53 percent uh it could put a damper on the housing market you know in a couple of years from now one of the questions i get the most on the stratosphere community forum is what are going to happen with rates and how does rate hikes affect stock X, stock Y, stock Z. <laughs> My answer is always one, you cannot predict it or even like, you know, waste any time predicting it. And two, I'm hoping to own companies that have excellent 
business performance, excellent fundamental performance, regardless of what happens with the Fed. And so when you see these rate hikes happen, it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's normal. This is literally part of credit cycles. It's part of credit cycles. And so just take a step back and remind ourselves that they've been basically at zero, right? And so they're still so low, like rates are, we're going to have, you know, I'm going to be replying to your segment about rates three hikes from now. And I'm still going to be like, they're still really low. Like rates are still like build in all the rate hikes you want in your model. Uh, It's going to take a lot to change my sentiment on it. Yeah, no, uh, that's definitely a, a fair take. Well, it's almost impossible to predict where central banks will go with rates. It's also very difficult to predict what impact it will have on the economy as a whole. To what extent will they raise rates? Will they create a recession? If they see a recession is starting, will they stop raising rates? There's a lot of questions that, you know, once you start thinking about it, you have about 15 other questions. So like you said, oftentimes it's just better to not worry about it. The Fed or the Bank of Canada will do what they do. That's their job of worrying about it. Your job is just to, literally, yeah. yeah. Your job <laughs> is just to make sure you invest in good businesses that are fairly valued, that have good long-term prospects. And if you have that approach and you do a good due diligence and you pick the right businesses, you should do well in the long term. I know I just mentioned that I really am glad I'm not the CEO of Hexo. I'm also super glad I don't work for the Fed or the chair of the Fed. Like, it's such a thankless and damned if you do, damned if you don't job, isn't it? Like, in what scenario is it not that? Like, in what scenario does, you know, the market go, oh, great, great job, claps all around. Like, it is such a thankless position. Yeah, yeah. I'm- no matter what you do, it's wrong. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Well, remember what, like, what was it about, like, seven, eight months ago? They were still talking about, like, inflation being transitory. And okay, well, yeah, that was stupid. That was <laughs> that was really yeah. stupid. I mean, maybe at first, but then it kept persisting, and they just stuck by it. Eventually, they just uh, changed their tone, and now obviously they're they've removed the word transitory. But uh, the last thing, well, if their job is to provide stability in the financial markets, which I, is one of their mandates, yeah, if if I mm-hmm. understand their job correctly then what they're saying is important too. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so they're saying things to provide more stability, which is saying things that maybe don't make sense, but give the market what it wants to hear. And so maybe that's the the correct thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think probably the biggest takeaway from me here is make sure that your debt is manageable, especially if you have variable debt. If it's variable. Exactly. And even if you don't, even if you have a fixed mortgage or you're thinking of buying a house on a fixed mortgage, well, we don't have 30 years fixed mortgage in Canada. So you have five years. I think sometimes you might be able to get like six or seven years. I'm not sure, but it's not for extremely long periods of time. So make sure you do have a margin of safety if those rates do go up and you have to refinance when they are higher, um, give yourself a little, you know, some wiggle room because the banks are not looking at that. The banks have their own stress tests, but they're not. I've mentioned it before. They're not looking at you maintaining your lifestyle. They just want to make sure you can do your mortgage payment. If you have to eat crap dinner to do it, 
they don't care as long as you pay Take your mortgage. Take a page payment. out of my book. Yeah. Take a page out of my book. Gert and Ramen, baby. As long as they get their payments. Yeah, no, I think that's true. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate you. If you have not rated the podcast or shared it with a friend, please, please help us and, and do that. It's literally like we don't ask for a whole lot, and we, we grind out this show for all of you, and we really appreciate you. Number one podcast in the investing chart for in Canada. Did you know in Canada our podcast is more listened to than Tim Ferriss? I did not know that. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. That is dope. I don't know if it, his figures are affected by like he has like some like Patreon where people listen to exclusive stuff as well. I don't care. Uh, I just feed me the number I want to know, which is <laughs> more listen to the Tim Ferriss. Put that on the on the resume. That's awesome. And we appreciate all of you. And like Braden said, give us a like, you know, give us a review. It's always appreciated. And, uh, you know, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We try to interact as much as we can. We have busy schedules, but we uh, do try to, uh, you know, interact with our listeners as much as we can there. If you have not checked out Stratosphere, stratosphereinvesting.com or getstockmarket.com, completely free to use the most powerful analytics platform for self-directed research in the world, like I straight up believe that the, the feature we just launched is ridiculous. Data visualizations for every single company. I literally, we like my devs literally just merged the code after I've been testing it all weekend. It's there. You can check it out. Literally every company, you type in a ticker right from the website. You don't have to be logged in and you will get data visualizations for every metric that me and Simon find super important right on the front cover. And you'll get every single metric right there graphed on a 10-year view because these trends are important and looking at data in a nice way it makes my brain feel nice. I really like that. So check that out at stratosphereinvesting.com. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.